All right, we're kind of on this. We, we, we kind of just finished last week the, um, the disciplines of the Spirit. We kind of finished the disciplines of the, of, of the Christian life. And we have a few weeks to kind of just one-off sort of topics. And I felt like this was on my heart. And, and, and I feel like even worship today sort of um, ushered in this, this, this tenderness of God. Um, I felt the presence of the Lord just, just saying that um, I'm here to heal today. I'm here where you are in your own brokenness, in your own suffering. And... Um, I'm talking about just this idea that we have so many desires, so many needs, so many expectations that we have as Christians that go unmet, that go unanswered, that we all deal with hope deferred. We all deal with prayers that are unanswered. We all deal with things that we thought were God's will, and it didn't happen the way we thought it would happen. And so it's a hard, hard thing to, to grasp. It's a hard thing to, to deal with when we have a belief in a God who loves, and then it doesn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. You know, what do we do with those times when we've prayed and we've sought the Lord, we thought we heard his voice, and then, man, it, it didn't happen that way, I thought. And some of us have, 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 a, have a struggle trusting God because of that. Or we begin to think, maybe I did something wrong, or what did I miss? Did I not hear God's voice, or did I not, hear, did I not, did I not do something right or wrong? Um, you know, one of the hardest seasons of, of, of our marriage, Shannon and I's marriage, is when we, we felt like the Lord said, begin having a family. Like the, the same day, really, we we're, were time, had time with the Lord separately, and we came back, and, we, and that day I just said, I, th- I think we're supposed to start, having, start having, having kids. She said, I sensed that same thing. And so we did what married couples do. You know, you watch You've Got Mail, her favorite movie, <laughs> her favorite movie, and, 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 and we... Immediately, she was pregnant, you know, in, in, in a few weeks or whatever, and, and all of a sudden, we're like, this is awesome. The Lord told us to do this. It's, it was divine. It was like this, this clear thing God said to do. And then nine, ten weeks in, we have a, she has a miscarriage. We have a miscarriage. And it was just so surprising and confusing and, and shocking. Like, Lord, didn't you say this? And then this happens. And it caused me to sort of question, you know, question his goodness, question his faithfulness, question his love, question my ability to hear him. Maybe we both missed it. And all of us have experiences like that, some, some even more extreme, obviously. But all of us have times in our lives when we, we say, what, God, what are you doing? I thought you were good. I thought you were strong. I thought you were with us. So I want to look at some, I want to look at some, some stories in the, in the Word and then talk about this, this, hard, this hard subject a little bit. Um, I wanted to look at Jesus' last few days before he was crucified, and um, it, was his, it was Passover week as he entered Jerusalem. He came into town, and it's, it's once a year, this celebration of Passover, all the Jews would come into Jerusalem, thousands of people would come to celebrate Passover, and he's riding, he's coming into town, and he is riding on a donkey as a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. It's a pr- prophetic word about the coming Messiah. It says in Zechariah, Rejoice, rejoice, daughter of Zion. Your king comes to you riding victorious, lowly on a donkey, on the colt full of a donkey. So he's riding on this donkey that they'd, they'd got, this, 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 this colt. And this is what happens. Let's, let's read from John chapter 12, verse 12 and on. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on, the, on a donkey's colt. 
At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had, to, had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him was also with them when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead. And they continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to see him. And the Pharisees said to each other, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. It's this crazy moment where like massive groups of people are there. And they begin taking these palm tree branches and laying it down before him. And the donkey is riding on these branches up the road to Jerusalem, up to the Temple Mount. And there's this expectation, there's this crazy moment where there's just people that knew about him from the Lazarusic episode. He raised Lazarus from the dead and it spread around and everyone's like, the Messiah is coming. The, the coming Messiah is here. There is, there, there, something's going to happen this week. Something's going to finally happen. After three years of watching Jesus, about hearing Jesus, seeing the miracles, hearing the teaching, he's finally going to start a revolution. He's finally going to do it, like, because that's, that's what they thought. They thought, finally, this Messiah, this Christ, would set us free from the Roman um, oppression that we've experienced, set us free from the rule of the Romans. And they expected him to ride up that temple mount and start a revolution, a war, and finally to set, set the captives free, right? That was their expectation, because, because that is not a false thing. The Messiah is going to do that someday. The Messiah is going to come and conquer his enemies and crush them under his feet. It's not a pretty picture, but it's going to happen. They just had the order wrong, right? And they thought, this king is going to come and he's going to do this. And 100 years before, 120 years before approximately, there was another revolt. A guy by the name of Simon Maccabeus. He started a revolt against the Romans at that time. And he rode into town on a donkey, and they laid down palm branches before him. And he rode into town, and he started a war. And he won the war for a time, for a short time. And so they knew that. They knew that story. It was only two, two, two generations before that. They knew the background of what was happening. They knew Zechariah, but they also knew Simon just came in town, and he kind of started it, but didn't fulfill it. But Jesus is going to be the one. Jesus is going to be the one we've all expected and hoped for. He's going to set us free. And what does he do? He rides up to the Temple Mount, he gets inside the temple courtyard area and he sees the Jews buying and selling animals for sacrifice. And he takes a whip out and he begins whipping the animals and flipping tables over. He starts a revolt against the Jews. Not against the Gentiles. He's flipping tables over saying, you've made my, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it for your own profit at Den of Thebes. Like you've, you've missed it. And so the whole crowd sees them. He, they're excited. He comes up and he goes, what are you doing, people? This is a house of prayer. You've made it a free market, capitalistic, uh, you know, opportunity here. And the Pharisees say, now we have a chance. Now we have a chance to get him. And three days later, four days later, Jesus is on trial. He's on trial. And this is the story. Luke 23, verse 18. The whole crowd now shouted, Away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was thrown in prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed, appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I'll have him punished and released. But with loud shouts... 
they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. How could this same crowd that was yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, three days later say, crucify him, crucify him. Their adoration and their hope in him was converted to hatred and murder, literally overnight, because of unmet expectations. They expected something of their Messiah that he didn't do, and their love turned to hate. And in that story is all of us, I feel like. It's all of us that we have these things that we just expect and believe God should do in our lives, and he doesn't do. And oftentimes our response is, how could you, God? How could you? This is what you're supposed to be like. This is what you're... This is what your, your promise to me was, right? Where are you? And how do we deal with this? How do we, how do we walk out those seasons of, like, of shock at, at what's happened in our lives, of tragedy in our lives, suffering in our lives, pain in our lives? Across the world, people suffer for Christ, right? Across the world, if you go to third world countries, suffering is, is expected. It's normal. It's not so much here. It's not part of our paradigm a lot of times. But, like, Christians in other countries are being killed for their faith. Three, three, three to four hundred thousand a year are, are killed for their faith around the world. Jesus said, if you're going to be my, be my follower, you're going to experience suffering. It's a promise, not, not just a, a statement. He's saying that, that there is going to be suffering. But, but why? Like, what, what's, the, what's the point? And I, as, I, as I looked online, just reading like, various opinions and like, you know, people's blogs about this, it was so stupid, some of the answers. Like, I, I was just like, shocked at like... Some of, the, some of the people said, you're just being so selfish. You know, God's not going to answer all your prayers, that kind of stuff. Or, you're not praying enough with enough faith. Or it just over and over again, it was like these kind of American answers, like just try harder and just don't think about it and, and just stop being so, so greedy about things. Like having a child and having a miscarriage wasn't being greedy. It wasn't I didn't pray enough or we didn't pray enough. It wasn't being selfish. It just was tragic. It was sad. It was... It was life, folks. You know, had Jesus, you know, I think about this, had Jesus just walked up that Temple Mount and dropped a nuclear bomb on the Romans like they wanted, would he be, would he be easier to follow right now? It, 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 for me, it's like the fact that this man chose the cross makes him worthy of following No other great leader did that. He chose the way of suffering. He chose the way of death. He chose the way of pain so that I know I'm not alone. You're not alone. Like, he knows the suffering. He's not a God who is far off. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the forsakenness of God. He was quoting Psalm 22 at the time as well, but there's, there's a reality. On the cross, he experienced being cut off from the Father for the first time in all of eternity. All of eternity, he was with the Lord, with his Father. He existed, pre-existed, fully, completely, one with the Father. And for that moment, right then, he said, you have forsaken me. 
And it's almost like he was surprised. I'm not saying he didn't know about it, but the, the feeling he had was, was that. He may have known and, because he's, he's, he's eternal and he was perfect. But the feeling he had in that moment was, I have been forsaken by you, Dad. And because he was forsaken, we can trust him. We can walk with him through the darkest times. We don't have to let those things in our life destroy our faith. You know, there's a, there's a man named Richard Wurmbrand. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. He was in prison for years under communist rule in Romania. And he talks about the tremendous torture and suffering he experienced under communism. And he talks about it. He, he talks about the power of suffering to create true joy. In the midst of the torture, he said, I had more joy than I've ever experienced in my life. In my life. And he said that, he said a strong thing, and I'm not sure I fully agree with it, but he said that that pain that destroys faith is not really faith at all, then. Pain that can destroy your faith. And, I, and we've, we've all seen that, haven't we? We've all, seen, we've all seen it. We've seen people just go through tremendous tragedy and they, they let go of their faith. They just say, I can't do it, I don't understand it. It's, it's I, I, a, God, whereas a God of love could not let this happen. And I feel like the Lord wants to touch people this morning and say, I'm right there with you. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, have, the, I don't have the answer this morning to say, you just pray harder. Stop being so selfish. Get more intercessors around you. And, you know, that's true. That's all true. Like, yeah, don't be selfish in your prayers and, and pray more. But, but there's still going to be pain in our lives. There's still going to be brokenness in our lives. There's still going to be stuff that we don't understand because he told us that. But the fact that he's a suffering king, he's a broken savior, means he is worthy of trust. He is worthy of surrender. He is worthy of our love. And he is victorious. He defeated sin and death. And he can be trusted with all of our brokenness, with all of our woundedness, with all of our hope deferred, with all of our sin, with all of our anger, all of our fear, all of our resentment, all of our offense, every ounce of of the darkness that we allow the enemy to bring into our lives through our pain, he can be trusted with it. He walked through it. He walked through more suffering than anyone in this room. He took the sins of billions and billions of people on his shoulders, in his heart. He took it into his man, into his self, and he died and went to hell for us. And this man can be trusted I keep hearing that phrase, he can be trusted. And this phrase also, it's a privilege to suffer for him. It's a privilege to suffer for him. What we can learn through suffering is profound. It's profound. Hope is not a thing, it's a person. It's a person. And in that person, you can find hope. In that person, you can find freedom. In that person, in the midst of darkness, you can have joy. I heard a talk a few weeks ago about, about 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. This is God's will. We always say, what's God's will? Wasn't that God's will? Was that God's will? What's God's will? Who should I marry? What should I do? You know, what's God's will? This is God's will. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Not easy. Those are all active things. They're not, those, are not, those are proactive things, right? Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. Those are not reactive. They're they're, they're proactive things that we do. 
I saw Kara Arnott a few, a, few, a few years ago, rather, at a conference. She's, she's the, one of the pastors at Toronto Vineyard where the blessing happened years ago and the revivals came through. And, and she, had this, she had this beeper on her, on her belt. And one of my friends said, Kara, what what um, what's the beeper all about? She had this like, 1980s, 80s beeper on her belt. Are you waiting for like, is it like a diabetes thing or something? Or is it like a, you got a call coming or something? And she had this beeper, and she said, well, you know, I, I just want to be aware of the Lord in everything. So every five minutes, the beeper, the beeper goes off. And I just stop and say, I love you, Lord. Thanks for being with me, Lord. Every five minutes, just beep, beep, beep. You'd hear, while she was speaking, it would go off. And like that idea, like pray continually. We can't pray continually. Like really? You're going to pray all day while you're, while you're working at, you know, AutoZone? Or whatever, I don't know. What are you going to do? You can't pray all the time. But you can be aware of his presence. There's a sense of communion that you can have, that he is with you. He is with you in those things. The mundane things. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. Man, it's... it's... Could you imagine if, if someone has a tragedy and you go, man, I'm so glad you're going through that, dude, because you're going to have awesome things happen through it. But it's true in some ways. Like, if you let it, if you let it, God is going to work something that you could never imagine through it. You know, this past week, we announced that uh, Mike Shea was leaving staff. And that was a hard thing. Mike, is, Mike and Jenny are amazing people. The Shea family is an amazing, amazing family. And, and the way he and Jenny have responded to this news, like the way they've accepted it, is, is so godly. Like, I've never seen someone who in a corporate setting or in a ministry setting that just has been able to take that kind of news and say, so be it. I trust the Lord. I trust you guys. And I want what the Lord wants. I'm not going to leave RCC in bitterness and you know, shake my fists at God and just be like, done with you. You're dead to me. The maturity and grace of that, that family has been just a testimony of like, this is how the kingdom should look with unexpected things. And, and hurt and brokenness. And Mike put this on his, his email last week, this poem from John Wesley. I want to read it to you guys in case you didn't see it. If you have it, you can put it up on the, on the screen if you have it there. He says this, I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, rate me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. It's a great picture of like, when it's, when it's good or when it's bad, I, I'm no longer my own, I'm, I'm his. I trust him. I trust him because he went to the cross. He's not a God who's far off. He's not a God who's just transcendent. He's a, he's a God who's imminent with us. He's a God who's present with us in the midst of the pain. Real faith is not faith that ignores the facts of our pain, right? Real faith ignores the power of the facts. Faith is ignoring the power 
of your circumstance, the facts of you have this sickness, the facts of you're unemployed now, you the facts of those are, we don't deny those things. We deny the power of those things because his power is greater. His presence is better. His truth sets us free. Does that make sense? Like it's, that's, that's what we do as Christians. We don't deny reality. There's a greater reality though. The God who is with us, Emmanuel, he's with us in the midst of it. Thank God he didn't walk up to the Temple Mount and just start shooting people dead. Thank God he didn't do that. He walked up to his death. And because he did that, we can follow him. We can trust him. He's bought us. By his stripes we are healed. By his stripes he has purchased us. And we should expect to suffer. We should expect it and we should even welcome it. But his power is greater in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that unmet desire. We cannot live life simply thinking. We cannot live life thinking, if I just get the things I want, then I'll trust you, God. If I just get those prayers answered, then I'll surrender to you, God. That's a consumeristic Christianity that goes nowhere. It will not lead to freedom. It leads to you being on the throne of your own heart, saying, when you do this for me, Lord, I'll do this for you. It will never work. It will never satisfy. It will never happen. Bonhoeffer, the guy, he died in World War II, trying to share the gospel and kill Hitler. Anyway, he said... (laughs) He said, Jesus invites us to come and die with him. That is not a popular thing to say in America. It's not. It really isn't. But Christians around the world are dying and suffering, and and they expect it. And they they find the Lord's love and the Lord's presence and the Lord's salvation in the suffering. We sing that song, King of My Heart, that little refrain says, When the night... How's it go again? When the night is falling down on me, yeah. Holding on to me. God is holding on. There you go. I was doing the Greek translation. Anyway, <clears throat> that's from the original Greek, yeah. When the night's holding on to me, God is holding on. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. That's the truth. It's the truth. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I just want to say, like, the Lord is with you whether it's victory or whether it's defeat, whether it's joy in, in, in circumstances or, or brokenness, and the pieces are right there holding him, like, he's right there with you. And I feel like he wants you to recommit to him. That he's good, he's powerful, and he's a savior who, who loves you where you are. He was forsaken so that you don't have to feel forsaken any longer. Do you, do you get that? He was forsaken so we don't have to feel forsaken anymore. The sin of the world was on his shoulders. We no longer have that on ours because he was forsaken. Let's all stand. I feel like the Lord just wants to touch and bring his tender love. I just feel like the presence of God is just here. We have a lot of time left, so there's no hurry. We're just going to be quiet and Invite the Lord just to come into those places that are, that are dark.
I feel like some of us this morning have to, to take a step. There's an act of your will that the Lord cannot do for you. There's an act of your free choice that the Lord cannot do on your behalf. And so you have to take a step and say, I, I sign up again, Lord. I, I trust again, Lord. Will you show up right now? So Father, would you show up again, Lord, right now? Come Holy Spirit. Would you just open heaven over this place?